what are the three biggest issues in specialty cost containment and how can you solve them to tie all of the pieces together? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change you want to see. This episode is brought to you by Shift Shaper Strategies. In sales, if you confuse, you lose. Clarify your message so you win more clients, crush your sales goals, and build your practice. Learn more at shiftshaperstrategies.com. And now, here's your host, StoryBrand Certified Guide and Chief Transformation Strategist at Shift Shaper Strategies, David Saltzman. On this episode of Shift Shapers, we're chatting with Nico Caparizos. He is a principal at Prosperity Benefits, and his field of expertise is really something that we've been talking about a little bit on the podcast, but not as in-depth as we might like. And that is creating custom healthcare plans that solve some of the problems that employers are facing and give advisors another tool in their tool belt to bring out and provide a better product for their clients and also to provide a better user experience for the members in the plan. And so those are both things that we always try to balance, but we always want to try to accomplish both of those. And that's what Nico works on. So Nico, welcome. David, thank you for having me on. Oh, it's our pleasure. So let's level set for the audience. What are the three biggest challenges that you're seeing that employers are facing that need to get solved today? Well, I'd say the first is a perennial one. It's controlling costs. It's a pretty obvious challenge that people tend to get a yearly reminder of when they see their renewal increase. I would say the second would have to be finding the balance of innovation between something that's potentially status quo and then going on to the deep end of, of having something that's pretty difficult to, to use and to manage. And the third part would probably have to be tying all the pieces together by way of education and uh, having employers really be able to accurately articulate how to use the benefits plan they've chosen for them, as well as how to interact with it in the best way that's going to benefit them as well as organization as a whole financially. Well, and that's always the challenge, right? Because if you can't explain it to the folks who are going to use it, you can't drive engagement. And then you go back to the employer and go, well, the plan didn't work. Right. And then you go back to sometimes square one, which is worse than when you started with. And uh, the employees might have quit. They may have had a lot of turnover. So there's certainly a cost to change at times. So you do have to tread lightly and be pretty strategic there. Now, I know this varies market to market, but do you find any particular size or range of size employers for whom these specially constructed plans seem to work best? You know, I'd say that in my experience, at least thus far of about 12 or 13 years has been that the smaller employers, you know, really tend to move more quickly than, than larger ones. And perhaps even because the audience with whom I'm speaking typically is, you know, a direct owner or a financial partner within a company. Uh, and that is to say under 200 employees, typically, they typically want to see more, you know, levels of innovation. They're a little bit more apt to, to move on certain things and really be a market leader if they will, because many times, often larger employers really don't want to try something. And maybe it's the advice that they've been getting. But some small employers with whom I've spoken have, have been right on board with reference-based pricing and some of these other cutting-edge strategies that, that certainly some aren't new. But they have been okay to just jump, jump both feet in and give them a try, which is really refreshing. 
Well, and that's something that's come up a number of times, both with some of the consulting and, and in the in my agency and or the agency for which I work, they haven't given me ownership of the place, which is probably smart on their part. But it comes up an awful lot, which is as we try to transition to doing innovative and disruptive things, how important is it to have the C-suite involved? I think that there's almost nothing more important when it comes to the foundational structure of the health plan. Obviously, the health plan financing is tremendously important. And to impact those numbers, you know, sometimes you really need to do some very innovative things. And there's certainly a crawl, walk, run aspect to building a plan that's a multi-year approach. But to have the C-suite not on board, what ends up happening is that sometimes the worst things can transpire, right? It's the the C-suite spouse is trying to use the health plan. It's very confusing. It's upsetting. Maybe emotions run high and they have a terrible experience because they didn't understand why the company structured the plan in such a way as they did. And then also there was no advocacy to, to back it up at time of, of service and use. So I think that's one of the first things you need is is buy-in from the C-suite. And we all need to be on the same page before we even start a discussion. What are your goals, objectives? What are you willing to do to get there? And then what does the future look like? So it, it has to be very intentionally strategic. And do you find that if you go directly to the C-suite that it eliminates some of the friction in the process of moving forward, with especially with innovative concepts? I think it does. It wasn't my original idea, but but of course, the, the C-suite versus the typical audience that, that most folks like myself are speaking to, i.e. the HR departments to begin a discussion, sometimes the objectives are at odds. You know, Nobody wants the health plan that the uh, CFOs want. You can't afford the health plan that HR would like, and nobody wants the health plan that the CFO would like to approve of. So you really kind of have to try to find that balance. But I think that that having the C-suite on board with the idea of making changes is certainly where you have to begin because typically other departments don't really want to see change and things are working just fine. But when you look at the balance sheet, that's when the problems really start to, to become a glaring issue. Well, yeah. And I mean, I think now, are you talking about partially self-funded plans or minimum premium plans uh, by and large? Mostly fully funded level funded health plans. You know, the audience that that most folks are, are, I guess, trying to pander to at this point to to make some meaningful, impactful changes. They're just used to a fully insured product that they don't really have too much say over or insight into. And so level funding is the way to get them into a better ecosystem and apply varying different degrees of innovation, but also having a plan that's simple enough to work with on a monthly basis and it's predictable and it's something that they can really kind of transition to pretty easily. Do you find that then they some of them transition over into taking off the training wheels and, and getting into taking some risk? I think so. Well, inherently they have to, right? It's, right, right. You know, in, in the underwriting process, they really kind of discover whether or not it's a good idea to engage that sort of plan or not. And unless an employer is willing to spend more on the front end to uh, get into a better ecosystem... You know, typically that's not the case. Typically, has to be at least enough of a carrot to do something different, i.e., saving money, and then reaping the benefits as time goes on. How difficult is it to get employers to understand that they can indeed, if they progress along? As I let me take a step back. You said multi-year strategy. Is it challenging to get folks to understand that there is such an animal and that it works to their benefit because they're used to eleven months, kick the ball, drag Charlie, take the least worst renewal, and move on. And this is very different. 
Well, it is, it is, you know, fragmented. It's choppy the way things have been. They really haven't typically been told anything otherwise, you know, but when you show, show an employer that they're making other decisions on a strategic level on a multi year basis, and why should this be any different? They, they really have a light bulb moment. I think part of the problem is that most brokers as well have kind of been conditioned to just, service the heck out of a client, show them all the market has to bear in terms of options, fight the increase when it's possible, sometimes change carriers, change plans, but stay within the same ecosystem. And they don't, frankly, have much of a multi-year approach. And I think it's just the genesis of how the industry was built in a lot of ways. There haven't been two and three-year rate guarantees coming from the, the carriers that started doing group benefits decades and decades ago. So it's been a knee-jerk process. But I think that once you kind of shift the mindset of the owners of the company and the financial you know, partners, they think, well, it does make more sense to be strategic. Why don't we see this over two or three years instead or longer? And now a word from our sponsor. It's a fact. Salespeople and organizations lose opportunities because they don't clearly communicate their value. In today's market, your story is your message. It should be crystal clear, perfectly arranged, and precisely targeted to attract the clients you want. As a certified story brand guide, we use the exclusive SB7 process to create that story and the websites and collateral that deliver it. If your message isn't cutting through the noise, we can help. Visit us at shiftshaperstrategies.com to learn how we can help you find, clarify, and deliver a message that wins clients, crushes sales goals, and builds your practice. In sales, if you confuse, you lose. So learn more and schedule that call today at shiftshaperstrategies.com. That's shiftshaperstrategies.com. And now back to our discussion. You know, way, way back and when dinosaurs roamed the earth, when I started my career, of course, they were all indemnity plans. So it was easy to understand what your liability was as a carrier, but there were two and three year rate guarantees. Yeah, it, it goes back a long, 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 long time, but but there were such animals. I don't know if we'll ever get back there again because of the way the cost structure is. But, you know, do you converse with clients, especially when you're talking to the C-suite folks, and have the conversation about how, you know, you think that all of your benefits are fixed costs, and most of them are. I mean, if you think about your dental plan, it's a, it's a fixed cost. If you think about your LTD and STD, it's a fixed cost. But watch the light bulb go on when you tell them you can move your medical plan from the balance sheet to the PNL and start talking about it in a longer term structure? You know, I, I think so. And really what was a light bulb moment for me was not focusing on <laughs> as much in, in those little segmented, you know, parts of the benefits program, i.e. the smaller cost items that, you know, a dental program can be a flat renewal for for eight or 10 years when the loss ratios are typically pretty low. But that said, I mean, I, I think it's certainly it's not only impactful to have them realize it's a multi-year strategy, but but to to actually quantify the percentage of their dollars that are based upon claims. You know, I think the industry stat is maybe eighty percent are directly or indirectly impacted by the claims of the plan, and you know, typically more than half are pre-funded claims. So when you say, you know, look, forty-five percent of your money is essentially going out and not coming back. 
but 55% of some of the plans that we can structure for you, you know, are your dollars and your dollars to keep depending upon the structure of the health plan, perhaps 100% of them, perhaps less depending on the funding structure and the, um, the solution provider. Typically, 100% back is, is the preferred. But they really start to think, you know, hey, well, I'm getting nothing back now. And perhaps getting back up to 55% of my money if we have no claims is going to be a, a, nice, a nice benefit for the future. Well, and it, you know, it's kind of like you know that that song about the old dope peddler giving samples. If you kind of can get their toe in the water, and they start getting checks back, do, do you get in a year or two to the conversation about, gee, could we do more? Which is really the the, the discussion about being more of a, a traditional partially self-funded plan? Well, it's, it's, you know, it's amazing when you start to see the year over year, you know, I, I started to unbundle health plans several years ago and to have the discussions of someone even getting something as small as a pharmacy rebate check deposited into their claims fund or a COBRA premium being, being deposited back into their claims fund. You know, they really start to see as time goes on. And, and a lot of times in real time, they are getting a benefit from being in a transparent health plan ecosystem. And so it does, it does make sense over time. You know, many of the more independent solutions will actually allow the plan sponsor to keep the claims money in the claims fund, whereas more of the national sponsored programs really kind of force them to either take it out or as an admin credit, they can get it back applied to them or perhaps out of the end of a year's run out, they'll get a smaller bill, you know, six months into their plan anniversary year. Whereas the long-term effect of the independent plans that some folks like myself like to structure, you know, they can have a surplus accrue of, of, tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending upon the size of the client that they can keep in the plan if they wish and just have it be more stable year over year. Or they can, you know, withdraw the money after the plan year's tied out and really kind of have that cash flow back if they need it for for other reasons. Well, and that, you know, that every three to five years, holy cow, we had a bad year. It's nice to have some reserves. Well, a cushion, you know, and it, yeah. it, it, it's funny, you know, this this year I had a couple of clients, they they matured a contract, i.e. paid for more months, and they still only got a, a couple of percentage points of an increase. I think it was 2 and 3% respectively. And they ended up having about a month or two in claims reserves sitting within their health plan as well. So it, it's amazing, you know, what they can see actually happen instead of getting a 15% out of the blue without any data, they're saying we performed well, we're paying for more months of coverage and claims funding, and we're only going to pay 3% more this year as opposed to 15. This is phenomenal. And it's a really impactful thing to see as a consultant because you've really helped this employer, you know? Of course. Of course. Well, you you brought up the D word. So let's delve into that. With the plans that you work with, how many of them get actionable data back from on any kind of regular basis, whether it's quarterly or monthly or et cetera? Sure. So, so there's a continuum there as well. You know, I've I've done this long enough on the level funded side to really kind of become intimately familiar with many of the players in the space, and that's to say the national solutions that kind of first were brought to my eyes seven eight years ago when they started to to break into the fray, as well as independent health plans. So the the level of data is certainly it's varied to say the least. You know, sometimes level funded carriers and even independent administrators are not accustomed to sharing paid claims data. They're not accustomed to share anything besides aggregate reporting data, which is not very actionable as we know in terms of an underwriting sense. Others, you can get paid claims data line by line, even down to five lives, and you can get enhanced analytic capabilities to to see claims reports on an ad hoc basis whenever you'd like to pull them. So it's, it's really a, a mixed range 
But to have an unbundled health plan down to five lives, that's something that kind of took me as a consultant a little bit of time to discover how to do. But there are certainly solutions out there in the market that are just that. When you start messaging this stuff to members, to employees, is the conversation more around, yes, the plan is changing, but it's mostly back office. We're just financing it differently. Or do you find oftentimes that there are drastic changes in plans of benefits that are necessitated by doing this kind of financing arrangement? You know, I think when it comes to the employee level, they typically don't really know the, the, the back end financing arrangement. And perhaps perhaps they should, you know, be be brought into the light a little bit with respect to having a health plan that is rated based upon utilization. But that said, you know, as simple as you can keep it and how you can frame the conversation surrounding changes within a health plan to be beneficial to them is is certainly something that needs to be done, i.e., having a health plan that has a wellness component baked in that actually draws down on the deductible amount that they owe on a yearly basis. That's something that can have an impact to the employee. And then you can marry that up to the conversation so as to say, look, the health plan that we have chosen as a company is structured so that the better we perform claims-wise and the healthier that we can that we can stay, relatively speaking, the better we're going to have our health plan perform and the longer we're going to be able to stay in this sort of a structure. So typically, the employees don't really know the back-end financing beyond the fact that if they have a bad year, they may have to move the next year. But that depends on the size of the employer, right? I mean, if it's a, a 200-person company, the employees may not know. But if it's a 20-life uh, plumbing company, they may have been told, hey, now we're partially self-funded. You know, Try to use urgent care instead of the emergency room, for example, classic example, or you know, don't go to the hospital for an MRI, head to a freestanding imaging facility. So, you know, it depends upon, I think, the employers wanting to share that information, but certainly always framing the plan as being better in several ways is useful to the employees. One of the things that you talked about earlier was tying it all together with education and being able to articulate what's going on. How do you do that? Do you still use old-fashioned enrollment meetings or do you do communication throughout the year or a combination of both? And What's the best way that you found for driving engagement with some of these new unbundled tools that they may have available to them? Sure. So it's a mixed sort. You know, I, I started off years and years ago learning from the, the nationals and kind of what they did for their clients by way of communication efforts. You know, I've created a really nice benefits guidebook template. There's an online software that I subscribe to where I can make customized materials. So depending upon the size of the client and the scope of work that's going to be involved, I really kind of let that dictate how much educational, I guess, creation of content I will do as a broker. I have found that the more the health plan sponsor can do, and, and usually health plan sponsors are where it originates, the better. You know, several with whom I work will actually pull together a guidebook that goes through everything with respect to all the nuances of pharmacy, advocacy, mobile app, telemedicine, care management, high performance imaging, really soup to nuts, all the components of the health plan the members need to know. And they can generate, you know, a 20, 25 page, very slick presentation that the members can use and deploy on their own. Sometimes that's a mobile app that can be looped into the health plan, either by the sponsoring TPA or on a third party basis have to know who the players are to talk to to make that work elegantly. And having advocacy built into the health plan could be just as easy as, as having the number printed on the ID card. You know, So again, a lot more is possible in the independent ecosystem there with respect to plan sponsors and, and health plans. But directing the employees to, to even call a number sometimes can be a challenge, right? 
Well, we understand all of that stuff because they don't need it until they need it. And, you know, we've all been in open enrollment meetings and they're interested in, okay, how much more am I going to have to pay? Which benefits have gotten watered down? And if they remember even that, once they get out of the meeting, they go two, three months, they're not sick, everybody's fine. And then all of a sudden somebody gets sick and they go, boy, I don't even know where my ID card is. What the hell's my deductible? Well, you know, how, what's this, what's it going to cost me if I go to urgent care? So it's, you know, advocacy seems to be a great place. And if, if you can just get them to remember that that advocate is out there, whether it's on the smartphone app or on the phone number, it's, it's nice to be able to say in an open enrollment meeting, we know you're not going to remember all the little nuances of this. Call this number. It's all you have to remember. Call this number or tap the app. And it's, you know, it becomes a lot simpler. Right. And, and you know, you feel like you're you're beating a dead horse sometimes because you call the number, call the number, call the number. And you don't want to at the same time feel feel like you're being unhelpful or disingenuous in your messaging to say, hey, call a 1-800 number. But it's truly, you know, the best structure for an employee to get help immediately is uh, to not have it blow back on the employer because everything is working well. But if the employee would just take a little bit of time to call the number, you know, and, and really help themselves. I mean, there's that saying, you know, teach a man to fish and he eats the rest of his life instead of, you know, giving yeah, a fish absolutely. on a plate. And it's absolutely true. It's, you know, people will appreciate more what they know how to navigate on their own versus having something handed to them every time they need it. And it just makes for a better, a better plan experience, I think, when you even just say, call the number, call the number, call the number, because it's it's there for a reason, right? We, we built it intentionally for the plan to be easy to use provided the advocacy services are used, right? Right. And, you know, it's like so many other things that that we do. At the end of the day, from, from an employee standpoint, it's all about the user experience today. It's not about bells, whistles, craziness. It's about taking friction away from being able to use the plan. And it sounds like that's that's what you're doing. Right. And it has to be embedded therein. You know, that's another thing I've learned along the way is, is it really has to all mesh together. You know, you need to have the health plan sponsor being dialed into all the various different components, all the spokes of the hub, if you will. And having, you know, a third party advocacy that the health plan doesn't really understand or having the the parts not really know how to communicate with each other. That's where, again, a lot of time has to be spent on the consultant side to really learn, you know, each health plan's operational workflow when it comes to advocacy. And if there's not one, then maybe it is time to, you know, kind of dive into the white pages, if you will, and and kind of do a little bit more research to find one that works really, really well. And that's a great place to end our conversation today. Nico Caparisos, Principal at Prosperity Benefits. Nico, thanks so much for sharing your expertise with the audience. We appreciate the time. Thank you, David. I enjoyed it. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Shift Shaper Strategies and may not be reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without our express written permission. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.